0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmer's Guardian. I'm your host, FG business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite platform. A very special guest turned up at the Farmer's Guardian news meeting this week in Margaret the goat. We'll be catching up with the farmer behind goats on video calls. But first we'll be carrying on our mini-series, taking a look at the farm trails currently underway for the environmental land management scheme. As DEFRA gears up for the rollout of the scheme from 2024, this week we hear from RSPB about the trial running to improve habitats for turtle doves. Here's Jess Fredenberg with more.
1: Hello everyone, we're continuing our mini-series this week looking at the DEFRA farm trials currently underway for the new Environmental Land Management Scheme or ELMS. Today, we're looking at a trial being run by the RSPB and partners, including Oxford University's Economics Department, that is testing the use of reverse auctions to improve habitats for turtle doves. Here to tell us more is Jake Zarens, project manager at the RSPB, and also James Peacock, who works for Entrade, a company owned by Wessex Water, which develops online marketplaces, i.e. including reverse auctions, for nature, and which is a partner on the Turtle Dove trial. So James, can you start off by telling us exactly what is a reverse auction and how does it work?
2: Yeah, so a, a reverse auction, uh, I mean, it's exactly like uh, a, a, a normal au- auction that uh, lots of people would have experienced, uh, but in reverse. So in a in, in normal auction, like you get on eBay or something like that, um uh, each each of the um, people who are looking to buy something bid against each other and they basically give their top price that they'd be willing to pay For an item or a service. In a reverse auction, it's sellers bidding against each other in order to sell something, either a product or a service. Uh, In this case, um, it's it's, it's, it's a service, ecosystem services. We uh, we we sometimes refer to it as. Um, So uh, effectively, all all, all the all the sellers, which might be uh, landowners, farmers. Uh, or, or, kind of put in their their best price, their lowest price, uh, to deliver some some kind some kind of service.
1: Okay, that's that's a, a great explanation. Thank you for that. Um, so I mean, N Trade has already been working with farmers using reverse auctions, hasn't it? Can you explain to us how exactly that has worked previously?
2: Yeah, so we've we've run uh, these reverse auctions for uh, lots of different uh, environmental services. And uh, practices that improve the environment in, in, in some way—that's what Entrade does. Um, uh, the, the, the one we're talking about today is for uh, turtle dove habitat and um, other things that benefit turtle doves. Um, but we've run these reversal auctions for uh, a, a number of different environmental outcomes. Entrade uh, started off in 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 Poole Harbour working with Wessex Water. Um, uh, looking to uh, reduce the, uh, the the amounts of nitrate so that were being lost from uh, lost lost from farmland, we used a reverse auction in order to do that, in order to kind of see what was the best kind of combination of practices uh, that we could buy from farmers in order to uh, meet a target for uh, over- overall nitrogen reduction.
1: And was was that successful? Did you know the idea of reverse auctions? Did it work well in, in that way?
2: Yeah, it, it has been successful. We we, we started off uh, with a target of reducing uh, 20 tons of nitrogen loss uh, within within the catchment um, five five years ago, and we're, we're about 80 or 90 tons per year now so we've grown we've grown it in size by kind of uh, three or four times over it wouldn't have been a success if uh, you know the, the the farmers didn't like the overall process one of the reasons why it's been a success there is that, um, although, you know, when I was talking about what a reverse auction is, um, I was saying, you know, it's, it's about the lowest price. It actually isn't. It's, it's about the most cost-effective price, which means that, you know, there, there's a large kind of quality element in what is being delivered. Farms like it because they can uh, they, they can kind of specify what they want to deliver.
1: Jake, I'm going to come to you. What's behind these reverse auctions? Because from what I understand, there's a lot of algorithms involved, there's a lot of data... Um, well, the, the
3: project is a partnership between, obviously, RSPB and Entrade, but we have other partners involved from the, the University of Oxford, from um, the economics department there, who are specialists in designing auction theory. And and basically, what they have done is, is worked with the RSPB, who provided the metrics of, of what turtle doves need to successfully um, breed. And um, our colleagues at Oxford basically translated those needs into uh, an algorithm, a scoring system, which has then been translated into the actual sort of data system, if you like, by a consultancy called Dot .econ, who uh, are environmental data specialists, and together sort of overlaid these various means of, of scoring and collating the information we want, which is then being attached to Entrade's sort of front-end auction platform which will then allow farmers to put in the the relevant data of of their farm, you know, what they've got on site, the various assets and the distance between those, and then that scoring system will will help us define basically which bids offer the best value for money, both in terms of for what turtle doves want, but also then obviously the financial costing as well. Um, you know, at this juncture, I think the RSPB is is very neutral about our um, reverse auctions. We don't know whether that they will meet all the kind of objectives that we're particularly interested in as an organisation. But by engaging in this approach, by working with partners, there's probably ways to add additional nuance to the system, to the methodology, so that we can get a lot more um, recognition of impact within the value for money measurements that are, are clearly going to uh, drive most of the decision making by government the scoring metric really does go some way to um, pull together some of the things that turtle doves would really want and so that that is reflected into people's bids that farmers know they've got good habitat can say you know it's, it's cost me money to maintain this to generate that habitat and therefore I'm going to include that within my price and have the quality um, of the habitat on their farms actually reflected in their bid value and therefore when we see the impacts at the end of a project such as this it's not just been about total area covered or the lowest amount of money that could have been spent on it but actually has it achieved what everyone wanted to do in the first place Um, so we're really keen to to try and develop this idea and see if there's opportunity to make systems like this really really work for wildlife
1: it's quite incredible isn't it wow no no lengthy sort of looking through people's paper applications anymore that's amazing
3: no, it's, it's definitely sort of taking things to a, a different level in, in terms of the complexity um, and also, you know, trying to form algorithms about the requirements of, of specific species takes a lot of tr- effort to translate, you know, the science from the ecology side into, um, into data points. It's definitely something that's relatively new, and and that's I think one of the reasons we're very excited to see how well this works.
1: Tell us about where you are at the moment with the trials. I know obviously Covid has put a little bit of a spanner in the works, hasn't it? As with all of the DEFRA trials, actually.
3: It certainly has. Yeah, we were actually supposed to run the first auction last June, but obviously, in in the the middle of of the first lockdown, getting out and engaging with the farmers just wasn't going to be viable. So we've re booted, replanned everything Um, and we're about to go live on the 15th of February with our first auction and that uh, auction window will be open for two weeks when um, the participants that we hope uh, will engage in this can go online through the Entrade platform and put in their bids and that first auction covers two zones, one each in Norfolk and Suffolk and then we'll run a second round of auctions with two other zones, also one in Norfolk, one in Suffolk Um, in June this year Um, and then once we've got all of those bids in we've worked out which ones uh, we're going to go with that basically we'll contract those farmers and they will start work of preparing the feeding plots that are sort of the the key outcome of the auction in um, autumn this year basically ready for those food plots to be up and running and and delivering the seed that turtle doves need when they um, return to the UK in April next year Unfortunately, we've missed this year. Um, so that those food plots are in place, ready for the breeding season, hopefully to, to support turtle doves to build their populations.
1: So when when farmers go on to the end trade platform to to look at this, you know, if they say they don't know anything about turtle doves, they don't know anything about what turtle doves need, does it have all of that information on there so that they can, you know, create a, a bid, you know, properly f- for that specifically?
3: Um, Yeah, we've done our best to have as much information available on the website, but what the the key thrusters has been in terms of engaging farmers is, you know, through a variety of means of trying to get the message out about the project. And then we've been arranging visits with RSPB advisors that actually go and talk to those farmers, have a look at at what they've got on their land in terms of um, water sources, you know, ponds and streams and particularly the scrub that they need to nest in. That's a pretty rare habitat to find, and lots of people might have good hedgerows, but these need to be quite substantial. So we go to the farm, we have a look, suggest which areas might make good places for feed plots, um, and then with that support, the farmers are able to pull their bids together but in principle there's no reason why you couldn't do this cold um if you had a a degree of knowledge and we should have enough information available that i think most farmers who know their land very very well would make be able to make a good guess of where they could put plots and and participate
1: Mm. and i mean i i think one one key question for a lot of farmers listening will be around the uh the financial side of it you know when they're when they're putting a, a a bid in like this are they expected to be able to make some profit from this or is you know is the the sort of floor price going to be just to cover costs? Um, No I think there's
3: a full understanding that people need to to earn a living from engaging in this work but I think the nice thing that will hopefully um, come from this project is that the scoring system looks across the whole landscape and basically helps us define where the best place is to make those investments and I think most farmers would agree that they will have known of schemes that they've involved in where they have lost money because of the fixed price and others where they've probably made quite a lot of money um, or done reasonably well. And so this is about more finding a a balance that reflects if it costs more to deliver services like this in a certain area, then absolutely that will give a a locally specific cost rather than a generic one where some are winners and some are losers. Um, And also this idea of providing value to good quality habitat, to encourage farmers to have lots of scrub, lots of decent hedgerows, lots of ponds on their farms, the value of maintaining and looking after that needs to be recognised. And I think a more nuanced bidding system, such as the one we're hoping our, our scoring will represent, gives a really good opportunity for that value to be reflected and then to, to pay farmers for the work that they've done to do that.
1: And do you think that the, the system, d- does it also recognise those farmers who are perhaps already doing a lot? You know, w- what about farmers who um, already have scrubland and hedges and things like that? Is there room for those sorts of people to be able to come in and bid perhaps for, for maintenance um, costs or something like that?
3: Um, I think at this juncture we're focusing on the food plots just because we needed to have you know one stable metric across the board. Um, I would say going forward, although it would be you know it's hard work to get the algorithms behind the system to do all of this scoring, but there's absolutely no reason why those factors of quality can't be more embedded in it. Um, and actually, I think from our conversations with farms, we found a lot of people who already have these habitats. They've been doing this out of love. Um, and they haven't been getting compensation for that. And this provides an opportunity for that to happen. And then it comes down to the individual of, are they happy to receive enough funding just to cover their cost to maintain it? Or do they want this to be a, a potential income stream? Um, and I would say that, that sort of intrinsic motivation element is a really interesting part of, of why people do... Uh, engage in some of these projects and and i think we've got various farmers who would probably do this for free so actually to encourage them to put in a bid that reflects the effort they're putting into it has been part of the process um, and getting them to to recognize there's an opportunity for this not just to be something they do because of love or, or some other motivation about wanting to see really healthy environments on on you know family land that's been passed down through generations
1: and James just just coming back to you I mean you mentioned that you've been you've been working on reverse auctions for a few years now I'm, I'm guessing that to start with there were maybe a few like you know teething problems like as you kind of worked out what worked what didn't you know what have you kind of learned from <coughs> doing reverse auctions about what farmers uh, respond well to you know what what they like what they don't like what works and what doesn't work for them
2: yeah, so uh, I, I mean, we've been running these uh, reverse auctions for about five years. We've run over fifty of these auctions now um, across uh, across the country. Um, and we, the, when people talk about reverse auctions, they talk about it as, as you know a, a single thing. But there's lots of different ways to run 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 a reverse auction. Um, and when we first started out, we had a, a system that was very similar to to eBay actually, and we got the exact same problems as you get on eBay where you're bidding on a pair of trainers and somebody comes in and out, outbids you in the last 10 seconds. Um, so we made changes to uh, the function of, uh, of the way that our, our reverse auctions work um, so that we don't get that kind of last minute sniping because that was the bit that farmers really hated. What And, and it's not what we want to either. You know, what we want is kind of value for money. And we... We, we, we don't want that kind of uh, behavior of kind of gaming the system effectively so so that was one thing that we learned we know that uh, you know reverse auctions are, are new to lots of people so that means kind of making the process as simple as possible for farmers um, and, and that means you know a- asking only questions that we need to know the answer to and not asking for reams and reams of uh, of, of information about what they're doing um, uh, and 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 the third thing, I guess. Well, well no, actually, actually, a couple of other things. Um, one thing is this quality element is is, is so important, and um, we've we've seen uh, reverse auctions run uh, in in other places in in other countries where they've they've fallen apart because uh, the the quality of what's being delivered hasn't been factored in, um, and therefore you might end up with the cheapest possible price, but uh, you end up with uh, you know rubbish habitat basically and that's something that we've been really careful about and and we've been doing lots of work on how to kind of value exactly what is being delivered by, by the farmer so for example if uh, if a if we're paying for a farmer to put a field into arable reversion, for, for instance, um, that has benefits for nitrogen, we've been looking at, well, what, what are the benefits in terms of the carbon? What are the benefits in terms of biodiversity? What are the benefits in terms of uh, natural flood management? Uh, and, and, and all that kind of makes makes it increasingly complicated, but it's so important to in order that you get the right result out of the auction. Um, and, and the final thing I'd say is uh, that where, where you're looking at those kind of multiple outcomes from a single thing, That's being delivered by uh, a farmer. You end up in a situation where you have uh, multiple buyers for the same service. That gets extremely complicated. And so we are we're we're developing the model into something that we call in uh, catchment markets, where we are uh, trying to develop competition on both sides of the market. So um, reverse auctions, um, um, you know, deliver. Uh, competition on the farmer's side so you end up with you know the best price but but actually you know the services that they're, they're, uh, the farmers are delivering are valued by you know not just um ELM not just the government but you know there's there's there's, there's hundreds of companies out there looking to offset their carbon to uh, protect large infrastructure through natural flood management and all this kind of thing Um so we want to see kind of um competition on the buyer's side as well so that we can deliver you know not just the lowest price but a real kind of fair price uh for 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 farmers and move away from this kind of income foregone model
1: jake how can farmers get involved and who is this actually open to is it location specific
3: yeah, it's location-specific. We had to choose some, um, some target zones, which actually proved to be incredibly complicated because um, you know, something like a water catchment is relatively clear. You know where you're, you're targeting, but with wide-ranging migratory birds, it's been pretty tricky. And we've picked uh, two zones in Suffolk, um, one around the Hadley area and another around Stonham Aspel, and then two zones in Norfolk, um, one on the Wensum Valley and the last one in the north-west uh, Norfolk area. Yeah, basically, people can visit the website, they can have a look, see if they fall within those zones. And if they do, then there's contact details um, for both Entrade and myself. And then we can work out whether people are in the the correct areas and and whether they're eligible to to participate.
1: Thanks to James and Jake there. If you're a farmer and want to take part in this trial or see if your land is eligible, you can head to Entrade, that's
0: Thanks to Jess for that report and to Jake and James. Now video calls have become a bigger part of many people's daily lives in lockdown. And for the office workers currently working from home, video meetings may have started to get a little stale. But Lancashire farmer Dot McCarthy has found a way to liven up these video calls, offering the services of her goats to join your meeting. And with the income from holiday lets and weddings disappearing overnight, the diversification was helping Dot's farm to become carbon neutral. I caught up with Dot about how and what she was offering and to find out more about the farm.
4: The farm is a hill farm. We're up on the edge of the South Pennines. So we run sheep, uh, train working dogs for other farmers and shepherds. And um, we've got a poultry flock as well, supply eggs on an egg delivery round in the local area. And we also have meat goats. Um, And we we used to sell to sort of restaurants and just direct farm gate sales with the meat. Um, And we also, I'm really concerned about climate change. So I've wanted to do, I took over the farm about four, five years ago from my parents. And I really wanted to do something to make the farm more environmentally friendly, reduce the carbon footprint and really wanted to turn the whole farm onto renewable power. So since I took over, just been trying to think of anything I can, basically, any crazy ideas to make more money because actually converting a farm onto renewable power is so expensive, like so, so expensive, all the tech you have to buy. So before COVID, we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So we'd started with quirky accommodations. So You'd come and stay in a treehouse on the farm. That was bringing in some money and like yurts and little shepherd huts and stuff. And then we started doing wedding receptions in the barn. That required a lot of pressure washing and tidying before the first one. (laughs) Um, And then we were doing educational visits for schools, teaching about food and farming as well. And we were really lucky to be featured in a BBC programme, The Great Staycation, um, which ended up going out nationally on BBC One HD. Um, And we just got so many bookings off the back of that. And that was the autumn before COVID hit following spring. So we were ready for this big, um, busy spring and summer of weddings and accommodation bookings and people coming to stay and getting all that money in for the the renewable power tech that we wanted to buy. And all of it basically just dried up and disappeared. And we had to close because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'd just taken on my first employees. So um, I was gutted because the two brilliant two brilliant people. I couldn't be more lucky to have like two awesome people as my first employees who work really hard, really dedicated. And I really wanted to like be able to carry on giving them work to do and so they didn't have to be on furlough. So basically just iterated through loads of different ideas. Like what can we do? What can we do to make money? Like what could, what do people want? What are people doing? What can what do we have that we can give that, you know, has got a value that people would appreciate? And um, So at first we were doing um, we tried to sort of move the farm educational visits online and that was really popular in our local area. Um, we did this thing because we're high up on the hill. We did a mirror signal class on Facebook and we got all the kids in our local community, well actually quite a lot of adults as well, to mirror signal at the farm and then we recorded it from the farm and you could see all the mirrors flashing down in the, down in the village which was amazing and they, they morse coded us the word pies because we live in lancashire and we like pies (laughs) brilliant (laughs) um so yeah that was the first idea but that didn't really make it was very popular but it didn't really make any money so then we're like okay well what else could we do um and then we thought right well everybody's gardening why don't we try selling manure like animal manure that went really well but i don't have a digger to like dig them up to bag it up so i ended up having to hand shovel it all and we sold so much i was like shifting about two and a half tons a day by hand which was quite hard work on top of everything else like training the dogs and uh, sorting out the rest of the farm and stuff um and then had the goats on zoom idea which initially was just a joke for people to read on our website to bring more traffic to our website in case people wanted to buy muck or meat or eggs or whatever And then uh, then people actually genuinely wanted to book goats for video calls. And here we are now talking about it. It's gone mental. It's gone global. Um, We're doing like loads and loads and loads of calls every day. Um, Managed to keep both my staff employed on their normal hours. um, All the extra money on top is going for the savings for the renewable power tech. So, yeah, we're we're super pleased. This will be the year that the farm goes carbon neutral, hopefully. All being well.
0: And obviously Zoom's been probably the trend of 2020, hasn't it? What are people hiring the, the goats to do and what do they get?
4: So got quite a few mates who like work in computer-based jobs and they were complaining and like, oh my God, it's so boring, all these video call meetings. Like, it's just so dull. And that's sort of where the idea came from, that you can basically prank your workmates and just hire a goat and the goat rocks up in the video call with absolutely no explanation and everyone's just like, uh why is there a goat here? What's going on? So it's it's just to like completely like five minutes of being in a parallel universe of not having a clue what's going on, and the person who's booked it is usually just in hysterics, watching all their colleagues just completely baffled and confused as to why there's a goat in their meeting. So we're doing uh, two things for Valentine's Day. Um, so we know loads of people are really missing that in person you know connection. you can't meet up you're having to do it on zoom and if you've got exciting news to share or you've got like a you know a special special message that you know it's just it feels a bit sort of falling flat on zoom we wanted to do something to just make it a bit more memorable and a bit silly and a bit fun so one of my mates is an animal nutritionist so I found some edible vegan paper online the goats could potentially eat uh, and these edible inks so we've done like a little test run which went really well and was hilarious um so basically you can book a goat and you, you write so say you've got a special message to maybe share with your family maybe you're pregnant maybe you've got engaged maybe you found out your baby's a girl or a boy or you want to you know tell your other half who you've not seen for ages how much you love them uh, in a novel way you write like a little short message you know a little love note basically or you know share your exciting news on the booking form then we hand write it out on this edible paper in this edible ink and then you have your video call and you say, you know, we've got someone coming to tell you something exciting. And the goat appears with the note and, the, you know, it zooms in on the note so you can read it. And then the note is lowered into the goat pen and the goats devour it. Thank I just you. thought, well, the, the main aim at the moment, I think the thing the country needs the most, well, everybody everywhere, with every country with COVID is, uh, you know, a bit, of, a bit of a laugh, a bit of um you know something to distract from everything else that's going on so i hope that's the kind of aim with it just give people a bit of a laugh and help helps us save up for those solar panels
0: i've seen you know looking through your website and things you you talk a lot about the personalities of the goats do you want to tell me a little bit about your different characters that you've got on the farm
4: yeah so any farmers will know there's always you know that that animal or whatever with you know it's the little quirks of the herd or whatever so those were the ones that we chose for goats on zoom so the ones who were you know really got a bit of a character a bit of a way about them and then we just sort of extrapolated from that so we have one goat that's like really really you know good form really lovely glossy coat so she's sort of our our posh prim and proper goat elizabeth um so there's like a little blurb about her that says how you know posh and sophisticated and elegant elizabeth is and then there's a, uh, There's another goat called um, Lisa, who's um, Elizabeth's twin, and, you know, she's a bit more chilled out and just mainly butts all the other goats out of the way at the hay trough. She just wants to eat all the time, basically, and um, so her profile is just kind of about eating and napping and sleeping and and that's it <laughs> so I think there's quite a lot of parents who are homeschooling who relate to Lisa the goat who are like yeah I just want to nap and eat and sleep but I can't because I've got kids to look after <laughs> um, and then we've got like some of the some of the kids have profiles as well so um one called Ozymandias kid of kids like the uh, poem if you know it he's uh he's like a little bit of a bully to all the other goats he he's always jostling everybody out of the way when it's feeding time and whatnot so he normally puts on a show if anyone books him he's always jumping about and being a bit nuts so yeah we just sort of use the goats natural characters and just made like little funny blurbs up about them really
0: and you touched a little bit about what you want to do with going uh, car- carbon neutral do you want to tell me a little bit more about your plans with that so
4: um... Threefold. First one is um, completely go off oil. So we're relying, we're like quite far out here. So uh, our heating system is all on oil. So we want to change that. And we want to convert all of the electricity to electricity made at the farm from green tech. So whether that's solar or wind or heat pumps or whatever, we don't know yet. We're going to do the um, research on what's the best solution for us. And get that installed. Uh, we also want to change all the machinery and vehicles and stuff that we use at the farm to electric as well, um, and install battery chargers and uh, car chargers as well in our car park for our visitors, so they can use the renewable power made here for for the people who come and stay, and um, who are coming in electric cars or whatever. Um, and I also want to look into changing what we farm and how we farm, and making sure that the land that we've got here and the food that we grow and we are producing the the food with the lowest carbon footprint possible for the land and space that we have if that makes sense so whatever the the different options for producing here are whichever the lowest carbon option is doing that and growing that food and to help reduce our overall carbon footprint
0: thanks to dot and a very special thanks to margaret that's it for this week we hope that you enjoyed the show make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss any new episodes until next week from us at fg thank you for listening we hope you stay safe and well goodbye for now